Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. I am Colin, your main host. Guys, we're back with more Korra discussion, and I am so excited because I have two co-hosts tonight. First and foremost, coming back for more Korra discussion, we have Susan. Hello. Hello, Colin. Now do the thing! <laughs> do the thing! Uh, and uh, joining us uh, for some Cora discussion in the uh, first time for this season is Kevin. Hello. Hello, Colin. Thank you for finally having me. I'm so excited to get into Cora again. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we're finally talking about season two. Ah, uh, oh, my goodness. All right. So, folks, uh, if you uh, if you didn't hear from last time, uh, we uh, this is uh, uh, last week we discussed uh, Civil Wars part one which was episode three of book two of legend of Korra, and this week we're continuing the civil wars journey as we discuss civil wars part two episode four of book two of legend of Korra. uh so as we had seen previously last time the north invaded Korra and Unalak had some discussions. Unalak was like, nah, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Korra's like, are you sure? And he's like, you're going to be a great avatar. You're the best. And she's like, okay, that's what I wanted to hear. Meanwhile, in the Southern Air Temple, Tenzin, Bumi, and Kaya started to have a little bit of old sibling dirt uh, rise to the surface as tensions began to rise as they went to go look for Iki, who had disappeared after Jinora and Milo have been teasing her. As this happened, the Southern Water Tribe was getting a little bit more tense as everyone was not really thrilled about the North having a greater presence in there. Varric was weighing in, talking about how they need to stand up for their freedom and clearly ready to go to war. Bolin, subjugated by Eska <laughs> and being such, uh, in such, a, such a sad place. <laughs> The Southern Water Tribe will rise again. <laughs> and as uh, things kind of went down, Tenzin, Bumi, and Kaya eventually reached a boiling point. They split ways, and Korra uh, finally came to terms with her parents as uh, she met up with them at the end of the episode. And just after seeing that her father wasn't involved in a kidnap attempt of Unalak, confess that she just feels overwhelmed by it all they have a tender moment but it's quickly interrupted as unalak steps in and accuses tonrock and senna of conspiring to assassinate him dun 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 that one is in honor of kip <laughs> and this is why i stopped it too <laughs> So uh, that brings us to episode four, and we pick up immediately where we left off as Tonrock and Senna are carted away by the Northern Water Tribe guards. And in the meantime, Bolin, Mako, and Asami gather uh, as Bolin is very thrilled to be away from Eska. But as soon as he says this, as if conjuring Bloody Mary... <laughs> Eska opens the door, steps in, and they are searching for Varric, who is nowhere to be seen, or so we think. As Eska and the guards leave, she demands that 
Roland Bowster. <laughs> it says, I love it when you grovel. <laughs> Let's just stop and take a moment and like revel in how wonderful Aubrey Plaza just brings Asuka to life. <laughs> it's it's probably one of my, you know, favorite parts of this season is just that Eska Bolin uh dynamic just because of how humorous it is. Because Bolin is so desperate for someone to love him at this point. And he's just like, oh my god, I'm gonna go get love. And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good way for them to keep Bolin around as the uh the comedic interest without being too stretchy with having him mm. in. And to have her as it just it, it's like it just feels like her personality in Avatar. Mm. Mm-hmm. absolutely I agree. and i think i think i just really enjoy that like i mean it just keeps going back to that first episode when she's like i like you i will make you mine he's like as a boyfriend or as a slave and she's like yes and like, <laughs> like this is just the continuation of this throughout and that's what makes us so wonderful mm-hmm. so uh as eska leaves <laughs> we hear varick's voice but from where? <laughs> As suddenly we see the stuffed platypus bear, its bill open up, and Varric is inside. <laughs> okay, can we stop for a second? I am very disappointed in our fans and our Korra cosplayers that I have not seen, when I used to go to cons, I have not seen anyone cosplay as Varric in the platypus bear costume. Like, I feel like that should have been like a cosplay i don't know like i i you know what no that's gonna be what i do now like when cons eventually come back whenever that'll be if you see someone cosplaying as varic in a platypus bear costume that'll probably most likely be me <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a great one to pull off i'll make sure it poops money somehow i don't know <laughs> yes <laughs> so uh he tells them it's like, look up. We need to. We need to huddle up. Let's let's talk a plan. As they see that things are beginning to get a little bit more desperate, as uh, the trial of Tanrock, Senna, and the other rebels approaches. So Varric is like, look, I've got something for you, Bolin, and proceeds to poop out money <laughs> from the platypus bear, and tells Bolin to bribe uh bribe to make the bribe to release his rebels i mean it's it's kind of a little unclear as to who he wants to bribe which i you know don't necessarily fault uh bolin for being unsure to a degree um but uh the, one of the best parts about this scene is that we hear we have varic drinking the tea and asami's like is your assistant in there with you he's like julie doesn't leave my side for anything and then sips the tea there's no honey in this there's no honey in here sir we're in a bear (laughs) oh my goodness it's just it's all just so good well i i think oh my gosh who just just Varric. I love Varric so much. I don't, he was he was a great uh like neutral chaos to bring in. Mm, that's a great way of putting it. Absolutely. <laughs> I think in our dice fenders game we need a Varric. Ooh. We need a Varric character. Somebody basically who is just very neutral but is like insanely rich 
and just does weird stuff. Like just ev- and we meet up with him every now and again. Colin, make that happen as our DM. All right. <laughs> this could only have been better if Elon Musk had voiced Varric. I feel like that would have been the other energy to bring into this. <laughs> oh my goodness. So uh, the scene transitions back to the Southern Air Temple and Tenzin has at last found Iki and she is in a cave in the most adorable scene probably of this entire series as she is sitting around a little stone table with a bunch of baby sky bison and it is so cute. (laughs) I want all of them. I want to take them all home. This is why we can't take me to adoption of things. Nope. Nope. (laughs) So she is very thrilled that uh, Janora and Milo aren't there. And, uh, you know, Tenzin's like, you know, this sounds, this seems pretty chill. Can I join you? And she's like, yes, you can sit next to Blueberry Spice Head. (laughs) As we find out that she has named all of these little baby sky bison, the most ridiculous names. (laughs) Yeah, to be was... fair, Blueberry Spice is probably the most easily pronounceable name of Sky Bison. I mean, Appa yeah. was pretty pronounceable, but I'm sure, like, Oogie, like, that's not borderline. And I also like that the Sky Bison were just like, yes, this is where we sit and we have tea. Like, w- what are you guys all looking at? It's <laughs> where we always come. <laughs> but of course. Um, so we go back. And uh, I mean, just in this scene, too, I I think it's just it's really nice because it's just this. uh, I also think that it shows just how um, how good it how good Tenzin is at like kind of reading the situation. And just you really see him in like full on dad mode in this scene because he just like goes in, asks if he can join, goes down, like, you know, approaches Iki at this level isn't going in and being like, where were you? Like, we're so worried sick about you just approaches and ingrains himself in this, like where she's at emotionally instead of just immediately kind of going on the attack or going with like an accusation. And I I think it was just a really, it was a very nice moment to see Tenzin kind of do this. Yeah. I'm wondering how much he was uh, sitting in, or, you know, while he was walking, thinking about his last moments with uh, Kaya and Bumi and like what he had said. And then just getting there, just being relieved and just going, OK, let me just add on. But you're right. It's like a, other than like a few like notable outbursts from Tenzin, he's usually a very good emotional intelligence um, for being able to read what's going on. I think, you know, I think Kevin does bring a really good point. His emotional intelligence wise, he's incredibly like he passes that insight check pretty high. but mm-hmm. I think when you are dealing with children or just, you know, dealing with things, it helps sometimes when you're you're assisting somebody else and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should have taken that. I should take my own medicine here. Um, and I think we'll see a little bit of that later. But I think in this situation, you know, we don't, you know, we do see Tenzin the father, but we don't see Tenzin like the emotional father healer. Like, so this is really great. Yeah, it was a nice soft side to see like when he could have, and we've seen him do it in the series where he like, he has that slightly cartoony blow up, like, you know, he raises his voice, but in this case he didn't. It's really good to see, like I said, I think it's really just good to see that whole dynamic between 
father and child. And, you know, I think it also helps ground him for later when he's dealing with his own siblings. Definitely. So scene shifts and we go back to the Southern Water Tribe. We're at the trial. And we get this amazing comedic moment as Bolin is sitting next to Asami and says, don't worry. I uh, saw those guys and I told them, get it done. (laughs) And they smiled at me and it just pans over as you see these two guys just like just butterflying out the cash. Yeah, man. (laughs) And then. That thumbs up from Bolin. Yeah, he flashes it back. Not exactly sure I know what get it done means, but you know what? I can take a vague guess. <laughs> and he just like does that thumbs up as Asami is next to him and just face palms. And it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was at this moment Asami realized guys are not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Asami realizes that, you know, women are just smarter and there's no reason anymore just forget it objectively speaking it's correct (laughs) (laughs) and then the judge comes in and Bolin is just like oh that's who I should have bribed (laughs) and Asami's like you think (laughs) Uh, and the trial does not go well Um, the judge determines that Tonrock and Senna were hosting the rebels I love that it throughout the entire thing. <laughs> Bolin's like, objection. Yeah. And he's like trying Mistrial? to insert himself in the judicial process when he is like no, just no qualifications whatsoever. But that is not stopping him. And that is just, oh, Bolin, such a pure heart. I know. I, I love that they, they make reference to him trying to do like lawyer things. And it's like, yeah, no, no, you have no idea what you're doing here, sir. I'd like to call a mistrial. <laughs> then uh, Bolin, uh, I don't know if I had, uh, yeah, I guess this like scene that kind of like interjects this. Uh, and I think as like it goes in between, or I don't know. It, I mean, I typed this in order, so it must've been the way that it was going. So we transition to a scene where Bolin tries to break up with Eska and uh, instead, she proposes to him as she wraps this like leather choker around him and just drags him towards her. And oh my god! I mean, it is uh, that what a power move! I I absolutely love it. <laughs> but poor Bolin. <laughs> and Wait, soon after, Bolin proposed to your significant others in this fashion. Was it only I? <laughs> Oh, wait, no. I'm just thinking of another time. Never mind. (laughs) So we go back to the trial, and Judge Hoda has ruled that the rebels and Tonrock are charged with treason. Treason. (laughs) They are charged with treason and are sentenced to die. Uh, And it's like, oh, okay, wow. Um, uh, this, This seems a little much. And then Cora, in pure Cora fashion, if you take their lives, I'll take yours. <laughs> Girl, oh my God. All right, that's fair. Let's negotiate from that position. Awesome. It was just so fun. It's like, yes, that is exactly what you say. That that should fix the problem. Just sma- Cora smash. Verbally. I mean, how does it not solve the problem? You take their lives, I take yours. 
there's a light eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I mean, I don't understand how <laughs> that is problematic. In all fairness, she did get a good negotiating uh, thing out of this. She's like, well, I hit them high, and then they, they brought it down to, you know, just life in prison. It's fine. Don't worry. It'll be okay. So seizing the moment, Unalak steps in and publicly asks Judge Hoda to reconsider and he's just like, mm, okay, I guess you're sentenced to prison. You're sentenced to prison then. And it's just like, <laughs> what is the legal system here? Like, I mean, granted, our legal system isn't like really, you know, anything to shake a stick at either sometimes. So I, I guess I can't judge. But still, someone just going up to the judge and being like, hey, dog, you should reconsider. And he's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he threatened to kill, she here. threatened to kill me. He said, please reconsider. Well, I've heard everything I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so I you know, consider the Southern Water Tribe is in a lot of trouble if their legal system is so lax. I mean, didn't Bolin just bribe someone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> so I uh, again, Judge Hoda sentenced them to prison instead. So seemingly pacifying the moment and Unalak stepping in as the hero per se. We go back to Tenzin and Iki in the cave as they both vent and find common ground with their sibling troubles uh, about how, and I love this exchange because it is Tenzin kind of saying like, or, you know, Tenzin's kind of venting out this frustration and Iki's just like, we should invite, you know, like, uh, like Ankaya and Uncle Boomy here. Ankaya is so nice and she's so pretty and Uncle Boomy is so funny and then Tenzin is like, yeah, and, you know, Milo is also really funny, and Chinora is really sweet, and Nikki's like, and she could be mean. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's a true child. Truly. And, but they, they find that common ground, and Iki says that, you know, family will always be there. As we see the tiny little sky bison return to their parents as they're just <laughs> flying around and it's just the cutest thing in the world. It's so good. So Korra then visits Tonrock in prison and again in true Korra fashion is like, all right, let's break you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, girl, <laughs> Tonrock is like, listen, Korra, please just i'll wait it out it's gonna be fine don't do anything rash hard cut to cora doing something completely who saw that coming (laughs) (laughs) we go from avatar completely like hesitant and second guessing himself with ang to the avatar equivalent of the uh i don't know like the person that basically runs into raids when you're like, hold up, we got a block. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cora is kind of the Leroy Jenkins. I of was this gonna, world. yes, thank you. But I agree, it's <laughs> it's such a difference from from Ang. It's just like all of a sudden, like the Juggernaut just charges through, and it's like just Cora just smashing her way through. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's like you, it's like polar opposite here. And ah, see what I did there? Ah, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Like you have, you know, Korra's like the the heavy fisted avatar, and you have Aang who's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, to be fair, Aang was like, you know, twelve, and she's like at least sixteen, seventeen. So true. I, I felt like they, yeah, 
they they def uh mike and brian definitely played really well in terms of um playing to the age of like the people that they were they were creating Absolutely. I mean, at 16, 17 years old, I think I did some pretty foolhardy things that were probably, you know, uh, smash first, ask questions later. <laughs> I was actually saying, well, when I had written up the notes for the first two episodes that I couldn't join in, at the end of uh, my notes, I just went, I just want to go back in time and punch teenage me. Just once. Just to, like, remind him, like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then just let him <laughs> sit with that for a little while. Like, that's it. Watching Korra, I'm like, oh, God, oh, it hurts. <laughs> I think... I think like all of us during quarantine have thought that like during this whole pandemic thing we've like sat around and were like, what would I tell teenage self about twenty twenty or about my future? And I just go back in time and just punch myself and be like, study more boys later or this or that. <laughs> like literally yell at myself and be like, You're a moron, shut up, you're still a moron. Just, just one just one tap of my teenage self just to remind me that there's someone else like that isn't gonna take this crap. And it's me. <laughs> <laughs> It's like you have no idea what you're in, what you're in for. Yeah, and then like you want to be like, look, do you want to prove your parents right? Because you're going to get to a certain age, you're going to realize how right they were, and you don't want to be that person. Yeah. <laughs> so Korra goes to confront Judge Hoda on Naga um, as Korra just just slams his vehicle into the side of the mountain, and uh, t- Naga tears off the side of the door and i love how like you know with ang and appa like appa will have his moments where he gets like angry but i feel like it's like appa reaches that moment when it's like appa's sick of it and it's just like all right i'm done with this moment i'm going to like bat my tail so we can just like end this situation here Korra and Naga are just like on such the same level here. That Korra, Korra's like, all right, time to go into attack mode. And Naga's like, let's do this. <laughs> let's say Naga's eyes were definitely like the polar bear of the polar bear dog. Like, I was just yes. like, oh boy. Oh, it's ferocious, Naga. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Naga tears off the door and Korra begins to threaten him. And what does he do? Oh, he spills the beans as uh, Korra holds his head inside of Naka's jaws. <laughs> it's like so intense. I mean, you know, that's, that's one way to get info. I, I, I don't know if like, you know, if any governments want to borrow a polar bear dog anytime soon. But, you know. As a side note, this episode was rated PG for self-harm, according to Netflix. Not for having someone's head in the mouth of a polar bear dog. <laughs> polar bear dogs don't exist, right? That's true. Yeah. That that makes it all better. Yeah. Fantasy <laughs> violence. I was going to say, I mean, you're talking about the same network that allowed Tiger King to happen. And I don't even think it was rated whatever for having a head inside a lion's mouth. So... <laughs> What was it? Uh, the South Park movie taught us you can have uh, you can have violence in movies, but as long as there's no naughty language. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and it's 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 interesting because it's like, yeah, this is funny, and uh, you know, Hota tells Korra that you know Unalak told him what to say so that Korra would remain on his on his side, and so that Tonrak would be out of the way. You know, just like when he got Tonrock banished and Korra's like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And we get all of this information. And here's the thing. Korra does these things that are like, okay, 
you shouldn't do these things. But Cora but gets results. <laughs> and that is why she continues to do some of these things throughout the series. And that's what people have to realize. And like anytime we get frustrated with Cora and some of her decision making is like we have to look back at moments like this where she was like, you know what? I am going to do something rash. And like, oh, wow, I just cracked this case wide open just from doing this. I guess I did the right thing. And it's like, oh, my God. I know, because, like, yeah, this exposed so much, like, in just one moment. Also, way to go, Unilock, to really cover your bases on that one. You had Hoda here, who had all this information, all this pinned to it. You couldn't have sent, like, another car with him or <laughs> anything. Well, it's probably because he didn't, he didn't think, I think it's, uh, he assumed it would be fine. And I think, like, it's a very, it's a classic villain uh, trope, I think we see in him and in Amon some, at one point, is, like, It'll be fine. That's I, I, they're not going to actually go after he him. He probably thought Cora was completely in his pocket. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm just thinking it's like, you know, and we wonder why, like, some people get a little irrational. And, and that's its work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's Cora has this moment of interrogating him. And by finding this out. Like, this is, again, you're absolutely right, Kevin. Unalak should have covered his bases because this is the type of, in, in, like, information that just enrages Korra and suddenly and immediately turns her away from him. Uh, so we go back to the Southern Air Temple as we see Boomy goes to the statue of Aang in this very tender moment where he talks to him and says, I hope I made you proud, Dad. And we see Kaya in the background, and she's just like, you did. And she goes up and gives him a hug, and it's just this, like, super tender, beautiful sibling moment. And we see just kind of, especially, I think it's it's so telling of both Boomy and Kaya. Boomy just, like, feeling like he has to kind of have this conversation with the statue of his dad and Kaya being there for him and being so supportive. It was a great B plot for these two episodes. It was a really deep plot. I mean, you know, this whole like, you know, sibling rivalry and, you know, making your parents proud and all that. And, you know, diving into the depths of whether or not your childhood was happy. Like, this thing really went deep. But you have to really feel for Boomy. I mean, especially after the whole waterfall scene where he couldn't bend. And then you have the airbender son, who's obviously going to be kind of the favorite. You have the waterbending daughter, who obviously, you know, has that connection with the mom. And then there's Boomy. So, like, you know, this was, like, one of those, like, very subtle moments where you're like, oh, wow, that was a lot to unpack. <laughs> it's but I really liked how they, they played this B-plot. I had issues with the B-plot a little bit. Yeah. And and I'm going to point out to why I have issues with the B-plot a little bit. Because, like, you know, we, we try not to take favorites as parents. And, you know, like, some days Emily makes us happier. Some days Ian's, like, you know, being a little easier. But, you know, for the most part, we try to treat our children pretty pretty much on the same level. Like, we don't we don't do something without the other one or we don't we don't attempt to leave the other one out purposefully. And when they're describing, you know, how Aang only took Tenzin to the air temples and only shared that information with Tenzin and how, 
it just feels like Aang, for all his wants and purposes of having a family, of having people around, like, I'm not sure if it was just, you know, Aang never really grew to that level, but it made it almost seem like Aang really wasn't a good dad. And it really does bother me because with all the care he took with the whole gang and with, you know, Katara and like Sokka and, you know, trying to be like another sibling at some points to Sokka, like it just felt like it didn't feel like something you would you would think Aang would have happened with Aang. Like it just didn't feel like that. But then that is true. Like that's 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 the one qualm I have here is that I just feel like Aang wouldn't have been a bad dad. And I and, you know, it could even just be the perception of it. Like, you're right, because I, I think you're right. I don't think this would have really been what Aang would have consciously did. Like, I don't think Aang... I, I have to agree with you that with that. That's why it may be more Boomy's perception. And then the other the other flip coin to it, too, is it, like, kind of looks bad on Katara. Like, this B-plot makes Katara seem like she wasn't as assertive in her later years as she was in her earlier years. She wasn't, you know... The earlier Katara probably would have been more assertive about Aang ensuring that she, you know, they stick together as a family. They do things as a family. Like, that's really bothersome to me for some reason, is that like, you know, it, it just, it, it doesn't feel like the family's as together as, you know, what we were led to believe they would be at the end of, of you know, the original series. And that, I don't know, maybe it's like because, you know, they wanted to introduce this dynamic to give a reason to why the siblings are somewhat disjointed or if they wanted to introduce this, this reasoning to like kind of bring this idea that families don't always necessarily have these happy endings. But it, it really did bother me a little bit throughout this portion. And I think you know, going back the second time around, it really hits a little bit harder than it did mm. the first time around. And maybe it's because now I have two children instead of one child. I don't, I don't know. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. And I, I, especially kind of coming off the discussion that I had with Daniel for the previous episode, is that we kind of both felt the opposite. That we actually liked, I, I understand your feelings, and I think that's... Uh, that's valid too and especially like as a parent who has two kids but I know for both of us it was like it was humanizing to see that Aang like actually had kind of these faults and uh, but I think the point that you bring up about Katara is really interesting about the fact that she wasn't kind of making that uh, wasn't assertive about kind of keeping the family together uh, like in that way and it's just the way that I kind of, the way that I I feel about this B plot and this whole dynamic between them is that it feels real and it hurts to see that, but I kind of like that because so much of what Korra has done as a series compared to Avatar is that it does not lean into the nostalgia and doesn't kind of keep this just very simple view of how the past transitioned is that even though there was peace, that doesn't mean that there was, there were not sacrifices made and that things didn't just go super smoothly and the last thing I'll say is that Aang was raised by monks and he left 
it was no longer under adult supervision when he was like 12 years old. And that to me is, I think, very telling of potentially who he would be as a parent. Because if you don't have the example to really be able to know and draw from, how like I understand what you said too about like him caring for the gang and having that like love and consideration, but like I I don't know I mean like I feel like ha- like having love for friends and your and everything is one thing, but like being able to parse out the stress and everything that comes with having kids, I I don't know. And and the thing is, I'm speaking completely just out of not no experience with that either. So that's why I, it is interesting to hear your perspective on that though, Susan. I mean, I think the other part of this that really, you know, the first time Aang talks about going to the air temples, he wants Katara and Sokka to go. He wants them to see the air temples. Like he wants to share that with them and his culture. And remember they play that whole airball game and everything else. And it just seems weird that he didn't take his other kids to share that culture. Like it just, it, especially when the avatar knows that you become a better person, a more well-rounded individual, even if you can't bend that element, you just become a better individual and well-roundedness from learning about it. Like I, that's kind of like why I was a little off put, but I think I was more off put by Katara herself just because Katara for the longest time only wanted her family to be together, wanted her family to be together. And the minute she has a family of her own, she doesn't fight for that. And I think that's what really hit home is like, you know, all that emphasis she put on the family being together. And then it's even what she says in episode two, when, you know, when Tenzin and all of them are leaving and she's like, and she tells, you know, Tenzin when, you know, she gets to be her age, she wished she had more time with her sibling. Like, you learn you would want more time with them. And I feel like maybe it took the death of a sibling to really click home with her again about that. But I don't know. It it just felt like something was really missing. And maybe that's just a whole dynamic. Like, maybe and like maybe the other part of this is, like, how you're younger, you always want to be with your family. And then as you get older, you have your own family. It comes kind of disjointed in the everyday occurrences that you do things that you start to lose a little bit of that initial scope and focus about the family like you just get so hung up in the minutia of just everyday life that you forget about that centralized portion of we're a family this is what we're going to do together and maybe that's what they were trying to convey but i like i said it just it felt very off-putting a little bit and that's where i was a little disheartened with this whole arc but i i do enjoy what they try to do which was humanize ang a little bit by having him have faults mm-hmm Absolutely. And I mean, too, it's just like, because there's so much that we don't know. But I think the thing that we do know, too, is that like, Aang and Zuko were building up the United Republic. And from what we saw in Korra's flashback, dealing with people like Yakone, and God knows what else (laughs) in terms of all of that. But uh, but yeah, the the point you bring up, Susan, too, like I've seen uh, throughout especially kind of the Instagram community for uh, for Legend of Korra, is that there is this big critique on how uh, Katara was kind of done dirty 
in terms of like her portrayal in Legend of Korra um, or just like the history of uh, how like what happened with her because going from this very strong-willed assertive individual in Avatar The Last Airbender to seemingly kind of taking more of a back seat in this kind of history between just from what we're shown. Um, but again, that I feel like is a whole, uh, a whole nother thing. And I feel, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but I think that this is also incredibly important to discuss in terms of these. And one of the things that Daniel and I brought up last episode was that that is what these episodes of Korra are doing. This is such a short little B plot. And these are such small scenes but look how much we're unpacking with them. Like, it's absolutely crazy because it is all so dense and it is such a real world and it is evoking all of these emotions from us. Sorry, yeah, it's why I love Avatar. They, they It isn't just a, uh, you know, a surface cartoon. It has some of that fun stuff, but it's really just a deep show. We could have like a whole other podcast or just a whole other few episodes about these crazy subplots that go back to these other characters but I don't think we have the time to do that now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I eventually do want to do an episode where we kind of dive into like uh, Kaya, Tenzin and Boomy and like the threads. But I think that we're going to need to wait till we at least get past season three uh, to really dive into that because we'll have uh, kind of the greater picture because that also includes like how Lin Beifong fits into it and Su Yin Beifong fits into it. All good stuff. So getting back uh, to where we're at here in the episode. So we get back to this and Cora tells the crew what is going on about how all of this is just Unalak uh, manipulating everything. And it's just like, girl, we know. <laughs> it's like, we've been seeing this for so long and it's just like, Cora, I'm so glad that you're here and that you arrived to this place, but it's just like, Oh no. Uh, but all the while, while this whole conversation is happening, Varric is still in the platypus bear. Um, and Korra wants to break her father and the rebels out. And at this very serious moment, they're making the plans. It's, of course, comedic with Varric. But then the comedy ups to another level as Bolin arrives. <laughs> as he and Pavu are all dressed for the wedding in these just like dark purple robes his hair combed down and pavu in these robes too his like fur combed down it is the silliest moment of them just entering this <laughs> just oh god bolin's just in deep it's the irony of him getting what he wanted yes absolutely <laughs> So Varric huddles them up and they talk out a plan of what they're going to do next. And the crew then goes to bust them out. Uh, however, they're gone. And Unalak is there to confront them. Korra, she said she is done being manipulated. And they have this like quick fight with Unalak in the hallway. And they quickly rush to Varric's boat. So that's one part of the plan. But the other part of the plan... And also, again, one of the funniest moments in this episode is Bolin leading the platypus bear to the boat. And this moment, I swear to God, feels more like a D&D &D moment than any other thing in this entire episode. It is that moment where you're like, okay, we're going to cast 
uh, we're going to have our druid go into a wild shape uh, to be able to hide their identity. And it's just like, oh, no, the guards are on to us. Okay, um, I am going to poop out a bunch of coins to distract the, the the people and so that we can get through. It's just like, okay, make... <laughs> um, I'm going to roll... Sl- I'm going to do a skill check for sleight of hand to um, poop some coins. Hold on, let me roll a... <laughs> plus four. So that is a uh, 18. How does that go? Uh, you poop out the coins. Uh, the townsfolk uh, all gather around, and the guards are just baffled by this whole situation. You are you are free to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what went down, right? Oh, oh my god, it's so good. And they get onto Varric's uh, ship, and uh, suddenly, you know, they're like, "We need a plane." And Varric's just like, "Why didn't you say so?" Lifts a plane out of the main hangar bay. But the best part about this is that Cora's just like, "Well, how are you going to get it to take off? There's no runway." And he's like, "Hmm, Julie, write that down. Need runway." <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, "Okay, I think we can make this work." So Korra, Mako, and Asami hop into the plane as Korra and Mako help the plane take off with some firebending as they go to break through the blockade. Korra waterbends a path as Varric's boat passes through. And Korra, Asami, and Bolin make it to the boat holding her father to free Tonrock and the rebels. Uh, so I, I want to get some of your thoughts on like this whole sequence and uh, any of your favorite moments and just like this this whole scene that just kind of went down. Uh, I mean, Varric in the platypus bear costume. At some point, you kind of forget, and then you remember. Oh, that's right, <laughs> with Julie in the back. <laughs> it's fantastic. That's the best part is Julie's in the back of the costume. You completely forget from multiple yeah. parts of this entire episode that Julie is sitting in the back end of this polar bear, platypus bear it's, costume. And you're like, oh, yeah, Julie is in there, isn't it's she? It's just so ridiculous, but so much fun. But then, uh, yeah, then I love that, you know, it's like then they have the, the sailor, like, uh, it's like, it's like, uh, like the Austin Powers uh, <laughs> movies where it's like, I was distracted by the giant flying. <laughs> it's like, it's like the guy looks over. It's like, uh, sir, you're gonna want to see this. <laughs> you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> this is again another D and D moment. Okay, I'm going to do cast fireball to help the plane go take mm. off. Wait, what? You're gonna yeah. do what now? Trust uh, me then, on this, guys. I got I was, this. Okay, exactly. Uh, uh, I love we have the comedic moment right into here's a new way to use bending. And I'm just like, oh, that's what I love about the show, the mix of technology and bending. Well, and as we'll see eventually, this completely informs the progression of that technology mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, it's just it's and it comes out of this marriage of the ingenuity of a non-bender in science with the uh, just like on the feet and practicality of a bender and what they can bring to the table. Um, but I also love too that uh like in the midst of all of this, talking about forgetting that Varric is in the platypus bear. Uh, <laughs> there's one moment where it goes to him at the wheel, and you look at it, and he's got the little captain's hat. <laughs> the captain's hat. The platypus bear. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, Colin. I'd like to uh, put on my captain's hat that I just happen to have in my in my bag of disguise. Okay, uh, add plus one to vehicle proficiency. <laughs> Wait, 
um, uh, it's, it's it's so great. It's just uh, so sweet. Like this whole thing. And look back, it's just the little details that make this even better. Like it really like that's the one thing I love about this episode is that Colin, you nailed it on the head. You said it really plays like a D and D episode at the end of this episode. Like it just plays like a D and D like battle like craziness <laughs> and the characters don't seem to have things go right like the the when bolin didn't bribe the right person i feel like totally that's a D issue <laughs> like you tell like a character okay uh we're all in this together and don't go ahead and then somebody does like that right there <laughs> or it's like okay make an insight check onto who you think you should bribe okay nat one those two those two guys right over there they seem like they're the right ones to bribe <laughs> my insight check what happens well you think those two random guys over in the corner just seem about right to possibly bribe but you're not quite sure but you'll take their word for it <laughs> oh my goodness so uh they are able to free Tonrock uh and the rebels and uh again we get this great moment as like you know they're like flying towards the ship and Cora's like all right you're ready to jump out they jump out the plane crashes into the water with an explosion they're underwater as Cora is swimming with them water bending a bubble around them to breathe launches them up on top of the ship and then they take all of these guys by surprise and just within a few moments take down and take control of this entire ship it is also just such a testament to like how how good they are and how fast on their feet they can just really uh take it to these people who aren't like absolutely extraordinary one of the things that daniel and i talked about last episode was this idea that like when you see cora like go toe-to-toe with these people that just aren't like way way out of like her league and are gonna like really stomp her like amon or the chi benders you see she is just so effective and we really see that again in this scene so we go back to the southern air temple for the last time in this episode as tenzin and iki return uh, we see Janora and milo apologize and iki asks if they want to go play airball another nod to uh episode three from avatar the last airbender uh, they go off gleefully as tenzin apologizes to kaya and boomy who also apologize to him and they're like look it wasn't fair of us to dump all of our feelings like that onto you either and it's a it's a really nice moment for them to all kind of make up and have that moment to move on, uh, but you know it's it, and it feels genuine, and I think that that's what really makes this scene work, especially. So, Tonrock then says, as we go back to the ship, that the South can keep fighting, but as I was writing these notes, Abigail told me. They're going to need Dante Bosco's voice and the United <laughs> Republic. <laughs> so they, he says, look, you just, you, we, we can stall. We just need the United Republic on our side. You got to convince the president. And then something approaches as Bolin rejoices and thanks Cora for like doing this. She's like, dude, I just instigate, like this just started a civil war and Bolin's just like, yeah, but like, I'm finally free of my, like my, my girlfriend. And then Varric has a telescope, looks in the distance, 
<laughs> Bolin looks in and we see Eska approaching furiously through the water. Makeup just like just completely dashed to her face. And as Bolin looks over at Varric, he says, is this thing fast enough to escape my crazy waterbending ex-girlfriend? <laughs> and Varric says, why do you think I built this boat? <laughs> And then it peels off like Tugga trying to get away from Russell Crowe. Just (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, So, guys, I want to hear some final thoughts overall about this episode and just kind of like the two-partedness of this episode and the one before it and how this just kind of ramps up uh, the season's conflict uh, to this point. I like that. I, I feel like it escalated extremely quickly. They they, they went from like um, her completely trusting Unilock to like complete 180 in the span of a few minutes. I know like, you know, things are compressed, but like they really compressed it. Um, and I guess really to set up the second half of this whole season. Um, I, I, do like Susan's comments and it's true. It's like now it's starting to make me think a lot more about um, Aang and Katara and their later years. But I also do like that the Korra show did not steer away from difficult topics. I like that they go into these, you know, more adult themes, uh, deeper themes to discuss. And the more I think of it, the United Republic, like how much does it actually control that the North and South, it's like just went to war with each other and the United Republic's like, wait for it. They haven't said anything yet. <laughs> it's like, like I'm sorry. It's like it took them a little while to get together in the last episode or the last season too. I'm like, I'm starting to wonder what what they do all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot of effort to go to war, and you got to get a whole bunch of people to vote upon it, and there's a whole bunch of member nations and are they really at war i mean seriously it just could be you know let's send another emissary or how about we discuss this in a committee (laughs) and you know it's it's funny because if you're if you've ever worked um you know if you've ever i feel like the amount of meetings that occur when you have something get so big at some point is crazy and then the amount of people it takes to decide whether or not an action must occur. By the time somebody makes a decision, sometimes it could already be over. And I I don't know, like, maybe that's a failing of, like, just this, you know, it, it shows that the government's building themselves. It It's not always perfect. And I think that's awesome. And I think that it shows that um, new governments especially have a lot they they have to work through and there's just so much that you know at times it's it's really difficult to get through and i i don't know it's maybe it's like a a, it's a small version of what the avatar is which is that you know there are these larger nations and bendings but the united republic is kind of meant to like tip the balance back to being neutral yeah and i think that's really what it comes down to but i also think that it it gives another reason to um, it just showcases that how early these stages of going from this type of system where it was like nation tribes almost or nation city states 
to a unified government. I mean, it's 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 astounding the amount of history that they try to cram into this for everybody to learn about, like that government's not perfect. And oftentimes um, unified governments are not perfect. And it does take a lot of uh, trial and error almost to get it right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting for that respect. And I, I give the I give the creators kudos on that because it's, you know, it's an underlying history lesson, if you will, without anyone actually knowing it. <laughs> and uh, I, I do enjoy this episode so great just because it, it really does get a lot of these B plots in, but it gets the main plot across really well. Um, I love, I just love Bolin so hard because he's like all of our teenage shells were like, yeah, we shouldn't have done that thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, crazy ex-motivated girlfriend. Why do you think about this thing? It's like, yep, that, that sounds like everything. Yep, I get that. And um, this showed me my, my love of Varric. Yeah. Just, it, so it, it really, it, I feel like this was the episode where I was like, I love Varric. I think I've just, I've just, it solidified my love for him. Mm. I think that was, that was the whole thing when I to quit this episode. Like this, this episode solidifies it, but uh, it had its great moments. It had, it, it, it still keeps with the feel of Avatar with these whole like campy bits where it's like, uh, the platypus bear poops money. Like it, it still kept with great moments like that. And then it also kept the seriousness that Korra has established through the first season. But then it also gave way to other really great subplot areas that the creators could always explore in different facets. And I, I loved it. I, I really do. So Definitely. And it's, it's interesting because we were about to kind of get into uh, like the next few episodes are kind of where things start to get controversial with a lot of fan opinions in terms of like the direction sometimes of this season. So I'm going to be very interested to see kind of where our discussion goes as we go farther into this season. Um, Because I think that it starts off incredibly strong and we get a really, really nice setup, but then uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to kind of examine it and watch it through with like a critical eye to really discuss it. And that's what I'm, I'm really looking forward to the most. Um, so Susan, Kevin, thank you so much uh, again for joining me for uh, today's episode and all of your insights that you shared. Thank you. For, thank, thank you. you for, thank you. So folks, you know where to find us on those good, good social medias. We are on Facebook and Instagram at legend of portal cast on Twitter and Portalcast Pod, and you can find our website legendofportalcast.com and also find us in those good podcast listening places. You know them. It's Apple Podcasts, it's Stitcher, it's Spotify. And if you're there and you're enjoying the show, uh, please, we'd love to hear from you. Uh shoot uh, shoot us a review, a rating, and it helps other folks find the show. And also, guys, I haven't been plugging it in a while, but I I feel like I need to. Uh, We also have an email. So if you guys have any comments or suggestions on what you'd like to hear next, shoot us an email at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. We'd love to be able to hear from you. We'd love to start being able to uh, read read some fan mail. Uh, If that is not your jam and you want to just DM through Instagram or through Twitter, that works too. But either way, we'd love to hear from you guys and... uh, appreciate your support and uh thanks so much for tuning in uh 
unsure as to where uh, next week's is going to go in terms of episodes. We may be doing something a little special. We may be continuing Korra. I don't know. I think we're really we're picking up steam on this. We may just continue this Korra train. Uh, but guys, for the meantime, thank you so much for listening and tuning in. And we'll see you next week. But until then, let us go.